invite Pastor Randy from West Seattle to come up, and he's going to share with us. Good morning. I guess it's almost good afternoon, isn't it? But not quite. Early day for some of you. Some of you I know left. Uh, there should almost be an award for who left the earliest. Who had to get up the earliest, I guess that would be. You know, I like watching football, and I'm always a little bit sad when the season's over. And I like watching the Seahawks, but only if they win. <laughs> so what I do is, of course, it's on Sunday, so I DVR the game, and then I look at the score to see if they won or not. And if they win, then I'll maybe watch it. But if they don't, forget it. Because I don't like to watch my team lose. And you know what's great? Is though it may seem like we are behind in the, the world game score, like maybe a hundred to nothing. It seems like we're just dying, getting killed. I mean, 4% of, of people in America have a Christian worldview. That's so pathetic. But you know what? At the end, we, we win like a, a million to, to 100. Actually, maybe a million to zip. I mean, the enemy gets totally defeated. And, and praise the Lord for that. I mean, I love knowing the end, and, and God has purposely put there. That's why he's given us the book of Revelation to let us know, as Walter Martin used to say, the, the original Bible answer, man, I've read the end of the book, and we win. Amen? So as we're, we're looking at this battle that we're in, and Pastor Tom covered it so well, we need to understand we are operating from a place of victory. So I'd like you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Now, when I joined the Navy in 1975, much different than Tom's father who joined it after World War, or, you know, after Pearl Harbor, when tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people enlisted, in fact, so many people enlisted that they had to keep the enlistment centers open 24 hours. And uh, though I, in my four years, never saw combat because there was no war during the time of 1975 to 1979 when I served, but um, after World War II, they certainly did go to war. And they were in fighting. And the spiritual war that we're in right now is waged in spiritual battles with spiritual weapons against an enemy that's largely unseen. And as Pastor Tom covered in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers and of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So this morning, I'm going to be covering the spiritual gear that has been issued to us to protect us and to fight in this spiritual war. So let's pray before we study. Lord, we do thank you for... The battle we're in, we're thank you that you have won and that because we are in you, we have won. But Lord, you've given us a battle to fight and you've given us equipment to wear and to fight with. And so, Lord, I pray that as we study your word today, that you would speak to our hearts and may we put on your full armor that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We'll stop there. Now, the army, that's the analogy for this section here in Scripture, is the army, that, or the, I should say the armor that a Roman soldier would wear. It's much like our modern-day military armor, even though there's uh, two systems of battle dress, 
separated by 2,000 years, most of the gear serves much of the same purpose. And note that it says take up the whole armor of God, which means, first of all, we need to take it up. Armor does us no good if it's just laying there. And secondly, we need to take up the whole armor, not just a piece of it or part of it, because each part, each piece is essential. In fact, the gear that we'll be studying here is an integrated weapon system. It works together to protect us and allow us to advance against the enemy. Now, we're told that if we take it all up, we will be able to withstand the evil day. And if we do that, we are guaranteed victory as long as we take it up. So let's first talk about what's victory. Well, I believe victory is to accomplish the task that God has prepared for each one of us to do. After we're saved, or we're told in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 9, that we're saved by grace through faith. This is the gift of God, not of ourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We're told, and Pastor Tom quoted it earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So victory is accomplishing the good works that God has for us to do. He's prepared them in advance. Victory is also to hear those words from our Savior when we cross over and we see him face to face. What are they? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. That's my goal in life. I hope it's your goal in life. Now, it's important for us to understand, again, each one of us who are alive today are designated by God to live in this time in human history and in the locations in which we live. The Apostle Paul, talking to the Athenians on what was called Mars Hill, said this, From one man he has made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he has determined the set times for them and the exact places where they should live. So did you get that? He's determined the set times for them and the exact places in which we should live. So we are all here for such a time as this, right? That's a quote from the book of Esther. We are all here for such a time as this. Now the evil day being talked about here in verse 13, what is it? Well, the evil day is today. <laughs> in fact, they were, it was the evil day when these words were written. And it's been the evil day ever since. And I believe it's getting increasingly evil as we near the soon return of the Lord and beginning with the rapture. Now, a few things we know to, need to know about evil is this. First of all, evil has been here since before Adam and Eve. Remember Lucifer, he had his fall. Evil entered our world through Adam and Eve. Evil never takes the day off. It never takes a vacation. Evil hates God, it hates people, and it seeks to destroy people. And evil especially hates those who are followers of Jesus Christ, which of course includes you and me if you're a follower. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm not a Christian. I was invited to come here. I just came for the food. <laughs> Wasn't that a great breakfast, by the way? Praise the Lord. I feel, I feel I got my, uh, my quota of bacon for the day. Now, you might say, well, wait a second. If I'm not a Christian, then evil won't bother me. It doesn't hate me. Well, no, evil does hate you. And evil ultimately will destroy you by taking you to eternal destruction. Even though evil may even seem like your friend. I've met many people who says, oh, evil's a good friend of mine. If I want something, it, ooh, it gets it for me. And evil will keep you placated, placated, satisfied, content. After all, it's a cheap price to pay for your soul. Maybe you're now realizing that the coney, cozy, cushy life you're living is like the wolf, wolf who's licking the blood off a knife blade. 
It's been said that the way Eskimos kill wolves is they take a very sharp knife, they coat the blade with blood, and they let the blood freeze on the knife blade. They then stick the handle of the blood, or the knife, into the snow with the blades sticking upward. The wolf smells the blood, it comes along, starts licking the blood off the blade, and it cuts its tongue. Pretty soon the blood of its tongue is flowing out, and it continues to lick, and it continues to lick, feasting on its own blood until it bleeds to death. If you're not a Christian, evil that is personified in the devil, in our godless world system, and in our internal sin nature is doing the same thing to you. You're spiritually bleeding to death all the while enjoying the blood feast. So yes, evil does hate you. And at the end of my message, Pastor Brian's going to come up and he's going to give you or not followers of Jesus Christ an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And if you're not walking with the Lord right now like you know you should, you've been defeated, you've been taken, maybe even captive by the enemy, we're going to give you an opportunity to get free and get back in the fight. Now again, in order to stand on the evil day which is today, we need to put on the full armor of God. So let's take a look at that armor. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Please turn there in your Bibles. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, evil will take all the ground that you can give it. It will take you, it will take your marriage, it will take your children, your extended family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates. There's an old saying, if you give it an inch, it'll take a mile. That's what it does. And here we're given the armor and the weapons to fight with, to stand our ground and to take territory and to have victory. Now, first up we see here is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. The belt of truth that was held your gear together. On your belt was the short, short sheath, sheath <laughs> which kept your sword at the ready. Also on the belt hang a piece of mail or leather. You see that going down the front, which protected your family jewels. That's important. These guys were thinking. The belt of truth from a spiritual sense is the truth of the word of God. The truth of God. The truth of Jesus Christ who said he was the truth. The truth of Jesus' atoning death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension into heaven. The truth that Jesus Christ will return and rule and reign over this earth and universe forever. The truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Those aren't, pop, you know, those aren't popular truths today. The truth that all of us are born as slaves to sin and that we must be set free from being born again. From water signifying repentance and the Holy Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. The truth is so important that Jesus not only said that he was the truth, but that the truth will set us free. And one of evil's great deceptions throughout history, which includes today, is to call a lie the truth. In his 1970s book about the mental state of Adolf Hitler, Walter Langer wrote of Hitler's philosophy, quote, if you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it will be believed. <laughs> Sadly, most of the people of Germany believed it. Sadly, even bigger lies are being told today and 
believed. We're told by our intellectual elite that there's no God, that we're just, we people are just products of chance over time. Our ancestors were apes and sponges and little one-cell amoebas that just woke up one day and decided to change. What a wonderful thing. It's a lie that's being taught from grade school to grad school. And if you want to work or teach in the sciences, you need to either believe this or at least say you do. We're also being told, and it's being told mostly to our children, that they can change their gender. They can go from being a boy to a girl and vice versa. Of course, it's a lie. It's a lie because God made us male and female. All of us either have XY chromosomes for a man or XX for a woman. There is no change in that, regardless of what you do with the outside or the plumbing. We're either male or female. We're being told that there's no heaven or hell. And that when we die, we just cease to exist or we go to a better place. How many have heard that before? Oh, he's in a better place right now. He lived like a, a total uh, heathen, but he's in a better place. No. No. Or maybe we'll get reincarnated. Wow, what a, you know, maybe you'll be a bug. Just don't get eaten. That's the diet these days, right? Jesus taught more about hell than he did about heaven. And the Bible is clear that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. It's interesting in Romans 6, 23, where it says the wages of sin is death. Sin is in the singular. Death means eternal spiritual death, hell, the lake of fire for an eternity. So it only takes one sin to send a person to hell and the lake of fire forever. Hell's not a popular subject. You know that? In fact, most churches don't even teach about it. They're afraid to. And yet it's a major biblical doctrine. And another lie is as we see the world preparing for a man to come on the scene the Bible calls the Antichrist, who will deceive much, uh, much of the world, and much of this is happening in record fashion through groups like the World Economic Forum and, of course, the climate agenda that Pastor Tom mentioned. And this is why Jesus, in his teaching about his return, said what? Don't be deceived. Why did he say that? Because there's going to be a lot of deception out there. And people will be buying the lie. So we need the belt of truth firmly buckled our, around our waist so we won't be deceived. The next we see here is the, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate protected the vital organs, especially the heart. It was made of molded leather or scaled metal. It was two pieces, a molded front piece and a back piece. It would be much like today's body armor. It's called the blessed breastplate of righteousness because our righteousness comes from God. It comes from God when we're born again. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we are given the same righteous, meaning the same right standing before God that Jesus Christ has. Isn't that amazing? Now, Jesus had perfect righteousness because though he was tempted in all ways just as we are, he was without sin. Jesus never sinned, which made him perfectly righteous. And in and of ourselves, we are what? Not righteous, Right? Now, before I read what I'm going to read, we're told in the preceding verses in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, this. There is none righteous, no, not one. That means no one. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, 
being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? It's, a, it's just fantastic. It's actually called the great exchange, where God takes our sin, Christ took our sin, and gave us his righteousness. That's a deal worth making, isn't it? <laughs> great exchange. And when we sin, we sometimes think, oh, I must not be a Christian. I, I must not be saved. God must hate me. We need to remember that our righteousness, our right standing before God is not based on what we have done or what we haven't done. It's, not, it's based on what Jesus Christ has done for us and our receiving of that righteousness by faith, by believing and trusting what God has done and what God has said. And this will guard our heart and other vital organs against discouragement. Against discouragement. It's one of our enemy's greatest tools, discouragement. Especially when we fall, when we sin, when we screw up and we fall down. We get discouraged. And maybe you've gone through a time of discouragement just recently. It's one of the devil's greatest tools. But you know what we need to do, men? We need to get back up. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, it says, For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. And if sin is involved, then we need to repent of that sin. And then we march on. Remember Romans 8.1. Pastor Tom quoted it. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hold on to that. The next piece of gear is our feet is fitted with the gospel of peace. The caligae, which was the Roman soldiers' boots, and they were boots. They were constructed from three leather layers of which the top formed the outer shell. They're kind of much like uh, a specialized teva today. <laughs> they were laced up through the center of the foot to the top of the ankle. Nail ho or iron hobnails were hammered into the soles, which provided the caligae with reinforcement and traction. The average Roman soldier would go through about three pairs of caligae a year. And if you take the average Roman legion of about 6,000-ish men, that would be about 16,000 pairs of caligae per year. It's a lot of, a lot of uh, caligae's. <laughs> they were designed to march and to fight in the climate and the terrain. These soldiers usually found themselves in, which was dirt roads and open fields. And the open boot design, which was really very clever because it allowed for marching through streams and the quick drying of the feet and also kept the foot sweat down to a minimum. And the hobnails gave them traction, much like our cleated sports shoes. They were an essential part of the soldier's gear because as your feet are injured, you can't stand, you can't march, and you really can't fight. In a spiritual sense, when we have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we can stand immovable for Jesus, for Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and the gospel is one of peace, both without, outside of us and within us. Shalom Aleichem which means peace be with you, is the greeting that the Jews give each other. As believers, we have peace with God. Before we were Christians, we are at enmity with God. We weren't right with God. However our life went, despite success or prosperity, we were still lacking peace. As Christians, we can enjoy and should enjoy having the peace, the shalom that comes from God and only comes from God. As believers, we can also have peace with those around us. Yeah, there's some difficult people we're going to have to deal with, but we can do it in a way that maintains our inner peace because peace is a fruit of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
Remember, peace is what the hippies were seeking back in the, in the 60s and 70s. There's a film about that, right? They're all looking. I remember as a kid going down to Southern California. I'm 10 years old. We're driving down to Southern California to meet our relatives, and there's hippies hitchhiking on all the turnpikes. It was just amazing. Like, wow, you know. And all this long hair and fringe clothes. And, and what do they always give? A peace sign. Why? Because peace, man. Peace is important. And they became, they, a lot of them became Christians because they realized that the only way to have peace was having it through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And they were right. You know, there's almost nothing worse than an uptight, wigged-out Christian. You know why? Because I've been one before. Maybe you have too. When things get tense, we can walk around all mad and angry. I just watch the news. <laughs> you know? We need to chill. We need to pray. We need to say, Lord, forgive me. And Lord, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. And we can say that as often as we want. Lord, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. We can be filled and refilled and refilled because the baptism, the filling, the refilling of the Holy Spirit is the birthright of every believer. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace, love, joy, peace, right? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're told in, by Jesus in Luke 11, 11, that if we ask God for the filling of the Holy Spirit, he will give it. It's a guarantee. Now, I believe that the best defense is what? Good offense, exactly. And so as much as I can, as much as is possible, I want to be as proactive as I can be. So every morning, here's something I do. Maybe this will help you. I wake up and I say, I, I try to do it right when I, I get myself out of bed. I'm feet are still on the ground. I haven't got myself out of bed completely. I say, Lord, I render myself to you. Lord, please fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. I ask for wisdom today because we're told if we ask wisdom, he'll give it. And I ask, Lord, that you would help me to love righteousness and hate wickedness. Now, you know why I say that last one, right? Because I still have a sin nature that likes to love wickedness. And so I need to ask the Lord for me to Love righteousness. Hate wickedness. You know, I hate Brussels sprouts, especially boiled Brussels sprouts. If I smell Brussels sprouts, I used to go in my parents' house, and she, my mom would be cooking boiled Brussels sprouts. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to eat dinner. I'm sick, Mom. I, yeah. <laughs> and I haven't liked them since. Now, I've had them broil, which isn't quite as bad, but boil is horrible. And I don't have a problem. I'm not tempted by Brussels sprouts because I hate them. <laughs> and so I want to hate sin. Amen? And I need the Lord to help me to hate sin and to love righteousness, love the things of God. So that's a, a great way. And it only takes about 30 seconds to do, really. Because we're told in Scripture, we don't know what a day's going to bring forth. It's also important for us to pursue peace in our relationships, peace with our family, peace with our neighbors, our jobs, even with those at work that are pieces of work. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, we're told, if it is possible... As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, sometimes it won't be possible. We need to make every effort to make it possible. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The next piece of gear is taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able, or I should say, it says above all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Again, notice it says, above all. 
Above all, because the shield, the shield was the soldier's first line of defense. Without it, they were sitting ducks to arrows and spears and rocks. The Roman army, in the Roman army, I should say, the shields could be held together or linked together so they could have almost an impregnable wall. Now, in a spiritual sense, faith is the first line of defense for us as Christians. Faith dictates our actions. When we lose our faith, it opens us up to attacks in many areas, and the size of our shield depends on our faith, the depth of our faith. Now, faith comes from a few different places. First of all, it comes from hearing the Word of God, reading the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is also a gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit, so we can ask God for the gift of faith. I believe, thirdly, faith comes from following Jesus Christ because the more we follow, the more we obey God, the more we see God's faithfulness in our lives, the more our faith grows. Faith is so important that it's mentioned 367 times in the Bible. There's even a faith hall of fame. Who knows what chapter it's in? Hebrews 11, you got it. The Faith Hall of Fame, where men and women of faith are commended for their faith and given to us as examples of faith. And we're told in that same chapter in verse 6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God is in the process of growing our faith. God brings us to places in our lives where we need to trust him. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those, those captives taken from Judah to Babylon. Here they are in this strange place. So they're told they have to bow down to this statue that King Nebuchadnezzar sets up. And if they don't bow down to it, then they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Well, what did they do? They said no. They wouldn't bow down to it. They didn't know what God was going to do, but they said, I'm not going to do it. Nebuchadnezzar got just so mad. He had the furnace heated up seven times hotter than ever. He had him bound, had him taken up. It was so hot that even the guys, the, these mighty soldiers that took him up died in, the, in the, just putting them in. And then what happened? God rescued them. In fact, God, it's, it seems like, was there with them. We all believe it was Jesus Christ. He says, look, we put three men in there. I see four men walking around unbound. Tell these men to come out. And they came out, and they didn't even smell like smoke. That was a faith-building time for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and also... King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm sure some others with him. You may be in a difficult situation right now. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids are having issues. It might be a health issue that you're going through or a job and livelihood issue. See it as a way for God to build your faith by trusting him and handling the situation in a godly way. You see, faith is synonymous with trust. We're told in numerous places in the scriptures that those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Let's face it, we have faith in a lot of things that we normally don't think about. How many of you came in this morning to sit on these chairs and you, you did a test? You put your hands on the chair. You kind of put your knee on it before you sat down. Anybody do that? I didn't do it. Nobody did that. Good. You know why? Because you have faith that chair is going to hold you up, and it has. 
How many of us, when we walked in this building, said, before I enter this door, I want to see the architectural drawings. I want to see the, the bios from the city. Make sure this roof is solid before I come to that building. Because the roof could come down, right? We're trusting this roof. Right now we have faith in this roof and the people that put it together. Good job, Kevin. You guys did a good job. <laughs> we hope. Well, so far, so good. <laughs> when we have faith and trust in the God who created the universe, of whom nothing is impossible, our faith is well-placed, and as a result, it won't be shaken. And when trials come that require faith, we'll realize that God's past faithfulness is a guarantee of his current trustworthiness. As we read earlier, that faith comes by hearing and reading the word of God. How about incorporating the reading of the word of God and listening to the word of God in your daily routines? You know, I told you about my get out of bed prayer. Well, another thing I do is I read a psalm on the john. Get that? Psalm on the john. What are you else going to do? We're sitting there, right? Says, I'm not touching his cell phone. <laughs> and then I read a chapter. Oh, then, then while I'm shaving, I use an electric shaver. I'll, I'll read like a, I go through Revelation or, or one of the prophetic books. I'm going through Ezekiel right now. And I, can, I brush my teeth so I can sit there and do all that while reading. I mean, who wants to look at themselves in the mirror anymore? And then I read a chapter of Proverbs while I'm eating breakfast, and I hope you do. You read that, you know, that chapter, whatever corresponds to the date. Now, recently, my wife and I have been playing the reading of the Bible at night when we go to sleep. It's been kind of neat. So we, we play it, and the reason we do that is because I make a lot of sleep noise that I don't realize. <laughs> so it drowns it out. But we get the Word of God, right? So I'll wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and guess what I'm hearing? I'm hearing 1 Corinthians. Or I'll listen and say, that's Hebrews. And, and it's kind of cool. You know, and, and, uh, and then I wake up in the morning, first thing I, I hear is the Word of God. So it's a real blessing. Maybe you can read it or have it listened to on your way to work, things like that. Incorporate it into your, your, daily, your daily life. How about reading the Word of God with your wife? We're told to wash it with water through the Word and praying with your wife before you go to sleep, making it a part of your life's routine. Surround yourself with the Word of God and your faith will grow and so will the size of your shield. There's an old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? So be at the ready because the flaming arrows are flying. And it's often too late to get your shield up before major damage is done. It's interesting that also flaming arrows were used during the siege of a walled city. They would shoot them over the walls of the city in hopes of hitting something combustible. Something like a hay wagon or a thatched roof that... And, of course, many of the buildings being wood, if you got a fire going, you could just burn out the city and the people will, will run and flee for their lives on their easy pickings. For the awaiting troops, our enemy does much the same thing. They shoot the flaming arrows in hopes of hitting something combustible in our lives. So the question is, do you or I have any combustible material in our lives that those flaming arrows can hit? Are we looking at porn? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Are we married? Or, I'm sorry. Are we married? Well, that's good to be married. Are, are we married and cultivating a relationship outside of marriage? Are we drinking too much alcohol or smoking pot? Just because something is legal doesn't make it right. Yeah, unless it's for medical reasons, I can see that, but... Just because it's too many people think it's okay now to get high. Too many Christians. It's pharmakia. It's synonymous with 
witchcraft and sorcery. Or we are allowing ourselves to be angry and to go around with an angry, angry attitude on the verge of road rage. What happens when somebody cuts you off? Kill them. Let me say this to you fathers. What seeds are you sowing into your children when you're angry and a hair trigger? What do you think your kids are going to see and the copy? It's not a pleasant sight. So take some time. Take some inventory. See if there's any combustible materials that you have in your life for the enemy to hit. And if so, get rid of it by repenting of it. And when you repent, you get rid of it. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Roman soldiers would take their shields and they'd put them right next to each other and form that wall. Those that were up front would put their shields together and those behind would take their shields and put them up that would then protect from arrows and spears. And it was very effective. And when we stand alone as Christians, it's much easier to get crushed and defeated. And we've talked about that earlier. Tom, Pastor Tom did. We need our brothers in Christ to stand with us, to link shields with us so that we can have victory over the evil that seeks to wipe us out. That's why the Navy SEALs have, what do they call their, their groups? Teams, right? Teams for a reason, because they operate in a team together. And hopefully you have some brothers. Maybe it's a prayer group, Bible study, those who serve us at the church. Hopefully you have some brothers that you can call and say, hey, I need some prayer, brother. I feel discouraged. My marriage is hanging by a thread, or I just found out my kid's doing drugs. I feel like getting drunk. Whatever it be, we need to have men that we can link shields with and, be willing, and are willing to speak the truth to us regarding our sinful behavior, to really, really call us on the carpet, call us out. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, you're probably familiar with this verse, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you watch how the attack patterns of lions work, they always go after the separated and the weak. In fact, they try to get them separated to get them. However, with all that being said, the most important accountability that we can have is before God. God sees everything we do. Our lives are a complete and total open book. Maintaining a fear of the Lord is absolutely vital in our Christian walk and in the strength and size of our shield. I can't understate that. Next we have is the helmet of salvation. In fact, we can... Rest and trust, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, knowing that you're saved. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old has passed away and the new have come. Our sins have been forgiven and they've been forgotten. We have eternal life and we will never perish. These are vital biblical truths that we as believers need to hold on to. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 reads, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. The helmet guards our head because you get in a head injury, you, you get a head injury, you're in bad shape. And from a spiritual sense, we do not or ever do check our brains at the door when we become Christians. In fact, you really need to check your brain if you're not a Christian. And they have, you have to. But we use our brains, which gives us the understanding that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth. He's vastly more powerful than anything or anyone out there, any being. Jesus Christ proved that he was the son of God by raising from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most important event in all of human history and is the only reason we even know the name of Jesus. And as Christians, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. We need to have, as what 
Pastor John shared a biblical world view. We view things through the word of God. You know, there's an old saying in sports. Don't let them what? Get into your head. Exactly. You know, when they're playing football and even basketball and sometimes baseball, there's a lot of trash talking going out there, trying to get in their head. And they know if they can get into their head, they can, they can defeat you much easier. And we've got to keep the world, the devil, our sin nature from getting into our head. Our mind is where most of the battle is waged. The devil and his demons, they can't read our mind, but I believe they can in interject thoughts. And that's why scriptures like 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, and you need to know this really well, man. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So important. I remember as a young Christian being told that verse, I had all kinds of thoughts from all the crud I've done in my past. And I had to take those thoughts, and I, and I, I called into a radio Bible program, and the guy said, this is the verse. And I, I, that's been, it was a blessing ever since. It's such an important one because so much of the battles between our ears. In a 2020 study, the average person has over 6,000 thoughts in a day, which breaks down to about 6.5 thoughts per waking minute. How many of those thoughts are sinful? How many of those thoughts are lustful, hateful, violent, envious, selfish, and anti-God? Probably quite a few. So what do we do with those sinful thoughts when they come into our head? We take them captive in obedience to Christ Jesus. Sometimes it's as simple as just saying, Lord, I take my thought captive to you. Boom, it's gone. It's almost like a big balloon goes up and the Lord takes a pin and pops it. Boom. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes it's recalling a scripture, which is a great way to deal with those thoughts. So having the word of God at the ready is vital in, our, in the battle of our thoughts. Old-time preacher John Wesley famously said, I can't prevent a bird from flying over my head, but I can prevent him from making a nest in my hair. The best defense is a good offense. So we need to be combat ready. That's what the military does. That's why they're out there training all the time. They need to maintain combat readiness, which brings us to our final piece of equipment. Verse 17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The gladius was a Latin word for sword. The sword is both an offensive and defensive weapon. The Roman soldier generally led with his shield and thrusted with his sword. The various types of gladius appear to have been suitable for cutting, chopping, and for thrusting. Much like a modern soldier's gun, the sword was the most vital personal weapon that a Roman soldier had. And the soldier kept it sharp, always at the ready, always in a sheath on his belt. So the belt of truth interplays with the sword of the spirit because Jesus again said, thy word is truth. The truth holds the word and the word is truth. Remember, our spiritual gear is an integrated system. That's why we have to wear it all. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We need to learn how also to use the sword, the word. A Roman soldier went through rigorous training to become proficient with his weapon. In today's Marine Corps, uh, Corps a scout sniper is one of the highest designations a Marine can have. They go through rigorous training and testing, and only a few make it. One person said that the washout rate is about 99.75%. 
That means that out of every 400 that apply, only one makes it. I spoke with a brother a while back who was a retired Marine Master Gunny Sergeant. He was also a scout sniper. He said he had to shoot thousands of practice rounds to be able to be proficient enough to pass the shooting test, not to mention all the stalking and physical testing that he had to go through. The Word of God is our weapon, is, is, is our weapon system. The Word of God is what Jesus used when he was tempted by the devil. Jesus had the Word ready when the tempter came. He didn't even go, well, just a minute, devil, I need to go get the scroll here. He didn't do that. He had it right there in his head, memorized. In Psalm, in Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we hide the word in our hearts by reading it, meditating on it, memorizing it, we have it at the ready for when the times of temptation and conflict come. And they will, either in our thoughts, in our words, our actions, and we need to use the word of God to direct us. And for some of you, you're in the battle that's raging right now. Your marriage, your children, your job, you're in an inappropriate relationship, finances, lust, drugs, alcohol. You're in it now. You're in the thick of it. Others of you might be experiencing a lull in the battle. And for many of you veterans of spiritual warfare, you know that a lot, if there's a lull, probably an attack is imminent. For you who are military combat veterans, you know that when you're downrange or outside the wire, you have to be ready at all times because a firefight or an ambush can happen at any time. As Christians, we are always downrange. As long as we are on this earth, we are outside the wire. Therefore, we always need to be ready. Again, in the military, they call it being combat ready, meaning we are ready to fight wherever and whenever the conflict arises. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. So, gear up, men. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And let's hear those words from our commander-in-chief. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter in to the joy of your Lord, and to take heart that our Lord Jesus Christ has overcome the world. We operate from a place of victory. Praise the Lord. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for all your goodness. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you that our victory is in you, and thank you that you've given us that victory. And I pray, Lord, we will fight from a place of victory, and we will put on the armor, and we will be able to stand. We'll be able to advance. We'll be able to take the territory that you want taken. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Brian Hedrick's going to come up now, and he is going to lead us in prayer.
You know, I came in this morning and I was super excited, super thankful. It was kind of a last-minute thing for me. We're changing churches, so it was kind of a last-minute thing. So I came in this morning. I was super excited about the things that were going on. And then I come in, and first thing I find out is because I'm not in the first row here, I'm not a four-percenter. And that was just really heartbroken. <laughs> but I am thankful for John lot, Pastor John, because he reminded me that I'm not condemned over that, that I can seek the Lord, which is a good thing to do. But in all seriousness, just thinking about what we're talking about here today as we get ready to do a response time. Um, as I was on my way here this morning, um, I battle one of the things that Randy just said. Sometimes I battle um, freeway interactions. <laughs> I grew up in prison, in and out of prison my whole life, and so respect is a huge, huge deal for me, and it's something that the Lord's still working on. When I got saved, he delivered me from speed and heroin and cocaine just like that. But other things, not so much. And it's a battle. It's a constant battle. So I was getting on the freeway this morning. I had to go meet with a group of guys this morning. Got on the freeway. And, you know, up here, I'm getting on the freeway. And a guy won't let me in. And he's kind of running me to a concrete barrier. And it just frustrates me. And I had to speed up to get ahead of him. And there were cars behind me. So I couldn't slow down. It just puts you in this weird place. And my first instinct, my fleshly instinct is, I, I just need to say something. And then I just start asking God, no, no, God, this is, the, this is the real battle that we're in. Maybe that's not a big deal for you, but it is for me. It's something that the Lord is still working on in my life. Respect is something that, that you live and die by in prison. It's something that God is still, you know, taking out of you. And it does happen to be, you know, in the real world that we live in, all the things that we're talking about this morning are important for us. If you're a believer, all these things are important. You are in a spiritual battle. It's constant. The, the devil wants to. It's the wiles of the devil. So I had to just look forward instead of looking over. I had to look forward, and then I had to start asking God and praying to God. God, I need your help right now. And I started thinking about where I was headed to, to go meet with my church and then to come here. And as I was coming, I was just thinking, okay, Lord, you know, if there's somebody there that's going to get saved this morning, that's 10,000 times more important than this interaction. No, no, that's 100,000 times more than this interaction. No, no, that's a million. That's what I'm going through this morning on my way here. But the reality is there, there's no number. The salvation of the souls of people is more important. But we live in a real battle. The enemy doesn't want anything that's happening here today to go forth. He doesn't want any part of it to go forth here today. So I just quickly want to do this as we get into a time of response. When we talk about a response here this morning, what we're talking about is twofold. Number one, we want to say, hey, we're going to give opportunity. We're going to bring our pastors forward, and we're going to give opportunity this morning for you to come forth, if you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. We don't just say that. We've been praying for that. Many people have been praying for that, and that's what the Bible teaches us. And the reason why that's important is tomorrow's not promised. You're not even promised to walk out the doors here today. What you have today is right here and right now. Today is the day to make the decision. But we're also going to give opportunity for you to, to come back if you've been straying away from the Lord, if, you, if you've been wandering from the Lord. Today is that day to, to recommit your life. We, we come here, and it's easy to go to Bible study. But as we come here, we say, no, 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 we believe that the Lord is in this place. We believe that the Lord put these things together. We believe that the Spirit of God is saving men today, that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And if you're here today and you're born again, you are so thankful for that message. But if you're here today and you're wondering, you know, this God thing or, or you know, what's going on in this world and, and I don't know if there's really a God and, and, and who's this Jesus or I've heard about him, I was raised in a family that loves him, but I don't know. No. No. 
So I just want to pull six quick words out of what Pastor Randy had just shared. The first one is this. He was talking about to stand. And in this portion of scripture, he says stand three times. But it's interesting because stand is actually a verb. There's action to it. And so we are to stand. So if you'd do this with me, if you would just take this time right now, and let's put action to it, and I'm going to ask you to stand as a church. And we're going to be standing for a few minutes, even during our response time, but that's actually called sacrifice. Uh, uh, Pastor Jeff, would you come and, and just play lightly for me after, during the response time? So we just put action to it, but you know, here it says to stand. There's a real action to this. Today, when we say to you, here's an opportunity as pastors are here to come forward, there's a real action to those things. And so we, we put action to that. The, the next thing he talked about was, was truth. This is emphatic in the scripture. Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one gets to the Father but by me. There's no middle ground with Jesus. There's no middle ground. He is the truth. We don't have to sit here and twist people's arms. We just say he is. He's good. When you were once in darkness and he's called you out of that, you realize this is so amazing that there is a God in heaven who loved me and died for me while I was yet a sinner. The greatest gift of all. And then he talks about the gospel of peace. The good news of peace. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation for anyone who believes. We just proclaim it. We teach it. We share it. But the gospel is the power of God. It's God's work. What we're doing right here is God's work. Paul said in the book of Philippians, he said that I may know you and the power of your resurrection. I mean, we need to know him but we also need to walk in the power of his resurrection. The power. The gospel has given us power. The resurrection gives us power. Let's walk in the power. Let's share the power. Let's pray for the power of God. And let's be useful tools that say, God, whatever you require of us. Because the most important thing, this is probably our most important time this morning. Not that the men that are here aren't, you know, that know God aren't important. We are. That's why we're here. But to give an opportunity for somebody to come forth and receive Jesus? That's why Jesus came. That's why we do what we do. And then salvation. So I mentioned three times this morning. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Salvation. That's what Jesus came for, to seek and save that which was lost. Not the 10 best ways to build your marriage or your ministry. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And then we get to the word of God. It is heartbreaking that only 4% of people have a biblical worldview. 40% of all young men and women in seminaries today in America do not believe in a literal heaven, do not believe in a literal hell. They do not believe in an actual resurrection, and they are going to be the next pastors and leaders of churches in this country, 40% of them. You scratch your head and you say, why? Why would you do this? What are you doing? The word of God 
If you don't have a biblical worldview, none of this matters. But when you have a biblical worldview, all of this matters. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's our Jesus, the one that loves you with an everlasting love, and then we get to pray. So at this time, we're going to get ready for this, this time of response. What I'm asking all of you to do right now, whether you are a believer or you're on the fence or you're not a believer, is for all of us to take a few moments and, and just close your eyes. If you're a believer here today, here's the requirement for us. We are to, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, to pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you know the Lord, then will you pray with me right now? If there's one soul in here, if there's one, if there's 10, if there's 300, whatever there is that the Lord is calling right now, we pray because we believe. We pray because we really do trust God. We trust his word. Because he's changed our lives. To be delivered from methamphetamine and cocaine and heroin just like that, in a life that couldn't stop, that was bound in these things. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So we could have our pastors come forward. They're going to be down below. I'm just going to take a few minutes. Pastor Jeff is just going to lightly play. Sometimes this is weird for people to come forth and to be prayed for. But it shouldn't be weird. I know, Pastor, but I don't want people to think I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners that fall short of God's glory. We believe that. And we need to pray. We need to trust God. We need the prayers of the saints. We need to confess our sins one to another. So you have brothers down here below that are here to pray. We're going to have, I don't know what time our, our break time is, but I imagine if there's guys that still need to pray, we'll be here to pray with you. Every last one of you. So just close your eyes with me. I'm going to pray, but you specifically pray whatever God puts on your heart. Father, as we come this morning, we are overwhelmed by your word. Jesus, you say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, every word. And then you said, teach them all things that I've commanded. And lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age. And to that you said, so be it, amen. And we say, amen. And so as we come this morning, Lord, we're praying for the men that are in this room right now. I'm praying for myself, our pastors, for all the men that are here. We are pleading with supplications, God. If there's a soul here today, Lord, that you are calling, that you are drawing, somebody that's been fighting and resisting, Today is the day of salvation. No joking around, no playing around. The 
The breakfast was great. The time in fellowship is good. The teaching of God's word is amazing. But the supernatural moving of your spirit into a man's heart, Lord, draw him forward today. Bring him forward. Bring many forward here this morning. And for others, Lord, we just pray as Pastor Randy was touching on these things, Lord, if there's anger, Colossians 3.8 says, put it off. So that 3.12 says that you can put on. And 3.14.15 says that you can have the peace of God. The peace of God to rule your heart. If you're here today and the peace of God is not ruling your heart because you're in a place of anger, some kind of addiction, he named one, but there's many. There's all kinds of addictions that people get stuck in. You're not being honest. Maybe you're cheating on your wife or you're cheating on your taxes. You're not being honest. If you're a believer, you're not condemned. But you are being convicted. And to our conviction, we bring it to the Lord and we confess it to him. If you are married, the Bible tells us that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Our first ministry, maybe you're not a pastor, maybe you're not a deacon. Maybe you're a husband in your home. But are you following the command of Paul to love your wife as Christ loved the church? Which you'll never do perfectly. But you're still called to do it. In the power and the strength of Jesus. Are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Don't take her for granted. Don't take your marriage for granted. It's unto the Lord. And First Peter tells us in verse 3, 3 and 7, if we're not honoring our wives... Our prayers can be hindered. If you're not honoring your wife, your prayers can be hindered. Then we wonder why people around us aren't getting saved and things aren't happening as we pray to God. Now's the time to come forth and say, I've not been honoring my wife. And I'm asking God for forgiveness. And then we're told this. The church of Ephesus was a church that did so many right things. They even tested the apostles but they'd left their first love. Is that you this morning? Is that you this season? Have you left your first love? You, you, you know Jesus, you go to church, but are you on fire for him? Are you sharing him? Are you telling the world, are you living for him? Because Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, repent. You need to turn from that. And then finally, the lukewarm church. The scripture's clear. He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So this is our opportunity. And I say this every opportunity I have to, to share in a setting like this. I think as these men are standing here, there really shouldn't be one of us in our seats. We, we all need prayer. But here's our opportunity now. So Father, as we come now, we pray that you would draw the hearts for salvation. We pray, God, that you would draw the hearts, Lord, that need to return to you. And we thank you that your word is being taught, that your spirit is in all power and authority here, and that you're going to do mighty things in the men that are here because we come to worship you here today. So let's take this time now, as the Lord calls you forward, to come forward and be prayed for.